It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The following is a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Radio.com Sports presents Big Time Baseball. It's brought to you by the 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. We appreciate them very much. This is Josh Lewin, along with John Heyman. We are the guys that bring you this podcast every week, bringing you some pretty decent interviews, I think. Tony LaRusso is going to join us today, and that promises to be fun. Matt Spiegel from the score in Chicago will take us through the Cubs managerial search and uh, obviously, you guys know John Heyman by now well enough to know we're not going to do segment one and not talk about managerial insight here in Searchers. But every week we're bringing you insight into the top storylines across Major League Baseball. Our episodes, including a chat with uh, some of the best baseball voices around. So uh, once you know where to get it, we remind you to listen to over the three uh, 300 stations, over 1,100 podcasts provided by Radio.com. You can explore by location or genre to find it whatever you want. So with that stated, John, let's get right to it. Uh, obviously the Goliath versus Goliath, Houston versus Yankee series, probably a, a good place to start. 210 combined regular season wins between these teams. It, it dawns on me as we get this podcast done. It, it's been a total of nine games between the two teams this year, two in the postseason as we tape this, seven in the regular season. Home team has only lost one of those nine. And this is the kind of series where I mean, the, the ALCS could be decided by a 304-foot home run at either ballpark. And, and there are players on these teams that can hit them 404 feet. Absolutely. And it's interesting you mentioned that uh, it was among the most wins that the two teams combined in any series. That 98 World Series was very different, though, with the Yankees having won 114 games. The Padres, 98. The Yankees were a, a huge favorite and swept. Uh, we expected Yankees and Houston here to be close. And so far, it is one to one. So uh, we shall see how it goes from here. But uh, you, you're absolutely right. The home field is a big advantage. Uh, Yankees uh, seem to have had. Uh, the advantage, the edge uh, at home. Uh, they love their ballpark. Uh, Judge aims for that right field. Obviously, they've got some lefty sluggers as well. And, uh, you know, I think the advantage, you know, believe it or not, I know that Houston, people are picking Houston because of the Cole and Verlander. They've already won one Verlander game. But uh, I think the Yankees starting pitching is pretty good and not at maybe not as good as Cole, who's the best on the planet, and Verlander may be the second best. But uh, that relief pitching uh, gives them an edge. And we saw it in game two that they kept it close there. And uh, I just think the Yankee lineup is a little bit hotter right now overall. And uh, so I, I think the Yankees have a good shot at this, even though people are saying Houston's the favorite. It, it reminds me, strangely, John, of a series that kind of dates both of us. So the 86 World Series was a New York team against the Houston Astros, and it was basically a race to avoid having to face Mike Scott again is what it came down to, because that New York team, they had one pitcher that is like, oh, no, I mean, we're not going to touch this guy. And I know Mike Scott and Garrett Cole are two very differently wired 
uh, people with different skill sets. But here it is again. It's a New York team against the Houston Astros with a New York team just trying to avoid that guy. So knowing that Cole is slated for game seven is a kind of the, I'm just thinking about the psychology here is like, OK, we either win this in six or we're in big trouble. Is that the Yankees thought right now? <laughs> Well, right now, Cole's the best pitcher on the planet, and uh, he doesn't scuff the ball. He does it legit. I think he just changed the way he did it, you know. In Pittsburgh, he was pitching a contact. Uh, it was kind of a ground ball pitcher to some degree, and he's just uh, gone with his strengths here in Houston. They've done a great job with him. Uh, it's certainly going to help his free agency, as we'll talk about. Uh, I'm with you. they got to uh, try to avoid that Game 7 if you're New York. You, if you're the Yankees, you got to try to finish that out in, in the Bronx and win three in a row. I know that's a – Tall order playing Houston, who on paper, I think many would suggest is the best team going between the starting pitching and the lineup and, and everything else that you you account for. But uh, the Yankees, I, I think, might be a little bit underrated here because uh, they didn't really have their whole team uh, for basically the whole year. I mean, and now Stanton is going to uh, is questionable and we may not see him, but they've got everybody else. So. Uh, you know, I, I think the Yankees uh, have a good shot at this with the, with the home field advantage, the three ga- three out of the next five games. And uh, you're absolutely right about Cole. Uh, incredible. I, I saw this as maybe like the 2009 World Series where it was avoid Cliff Lee and Cliff Lee beat the Yankees twice and the Yankees won all the other games. But now the Yankees have lost to Verlander and certainly they Houston having two great pitchers uh, is a huge plus. By the way, since we brought up 86, not for nothing, wh- where were you? Were you working yet uh, on actual Major League Baseball coverage and doing that series? Where were you on night of Game 6? Yeah, I, I was out in California, and uh, I – no, 87 was my first year covering the Angels. So, no, I, I actually was covering the uh, Raiders, and I was out in L.A., and I did not see that game in person or those that series fantastic obviously uh, go down in lore as one of the greatest world series ever i'll give you my quick story on that not that anybody cares but it was the night of my 18th i care I well, it was the night of my 18th birthday so you don't forget stuff like that and i was watching it at a fraternity house at northwestern had no desire to join this fraternity really until the game got good and everybody in that house and it was like a house divided it was like half red Sox kids and half uh, mets kids and the, the fever pitch that, that swelled in what we called the tube room, you know, back when you called the TV the tube, uh, and, and, you know, just fear flying around and people throwing, you know, I mean, shirts at each other and shoes. And I, I got so swept up. I, I pledged a fraternity that night, like literally a minute after the ball went through Buckner's legs. I always remember 86 <laughs> for that reason. So the other series, John, you know, the, the Cardinals obviously – uh, not like they were a, a hitting juggernaut like the Astros or Yankees to begin with. But my goodness, I mean, the Nationals, they've got some mojo now. And it wasn't just, oh, it's Max Scherzer. But from out of nowhere, it's, hey, remember Anibal Sanchez. And those first two games, it's like the cone of silence just dropped down from the arch on top of that ballpark. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that. Yeah, I mean, St. Louis obviously in trouble now, and they're just not a great breaking ball hitting team. And Anibal Sanchez, uh, at this stage in his career, and I remember him when he was in Miami throwing 98 miles an hour. Right now, he's basically all breaking balls and change-ups, and uh, that's the worst guy for the Cardinals to face. And uh, he stifled them, and obviously we know uh, the Nats have three uh, excellent pitchers. He's their fourth starter. Um, you know, uh, the Nats have a short bullpen, but it, it seems like this postseason, one of the themes of it is we're swinging back to starting pitching as being a key uh, determining factor rather than bullpen. It had been going the other way for a while, but we have the Nats very strong with the starting pitching uh, and Houston very strong with starting pitching. And uh, I mean, the Rays are pit- great pitching all over uh, and, and they did well, too. But, uh, you know, I, I, the Nats' problem was going to be that they basically had two relievers that they could trust uh, in Doolittle and, and, and Hudson. And was that going to be enough? And a lot of people questioned it. But uh, their starters are so good. And uh, right now they're in fantastic shape. St. Louis, tough team to put away, though. I mean, they've been a bugaboo for the Nats forever. I was there in 2012 when they were down 6 nothing, came back on Storin and the, the relief crew then for the Nats and, and beat them. Uh, you know, St. Louis is full of surprises, particularly in October. And we're going to talk to Tony La Russa later. But uh, it was it, when La Russa was there and then 
uh, and, and now uh, with Schilt, did a nice job with an upset in the first round. Uh, I mean, St. Louis, they, they can be tough. They, they look like they're in trouble now. Amazing. But they can be yeah, tough. Yeah, it's amazing, though. I mean, they, they had a 10-run inning to basically put themselves in this position, and then everything just stopped. That's really remarkable. Uh, other remarkable things that happened in between the last podcast and this podcast. Uh, maybe it's not remarkable that Kershaw continues to struggle but that's definitely a thing, although they, I thought they put him in a position that certainly was unenviable, uh, to, to put it kindly. And the Howie Kendrick walk-off, you know, I mean, I, I don't know that I, I've had the, this drum to beat on necessarily, like, oh, everybody forgets Howie Kendrick, everybody sleeps on Howie Kendrick. That would be disingenuous to say that. But I always thought this was an underrated guy, John. I mean, he's got a 325 batting average over the last three years. That's the highest batting average in the major leagues of anybody with a thousand plate appearances. I mean, nobody else can say that. And so, you know, the fact that he was the hero, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't completely surprised by that. No, he's a great hitter, a professional hitter. We had Mike Rizzo on a few podcasts ago, and uh, he's been very good at free agency. And that is one of the great under-the-radar free agent move, moves uh, probably ever, two years and seven million. And to hit that home run against his former team, I mean, that's a highlight of a career and uh, deservedly so because he is a real pro. Uh, in terms of some of the other things that went on, uh, yeah, I mean, the discussion of Dave Roberts is uh, – uh, managing uh, status, I thought was ridiculous. Uh, the guy's a fantastic manager, gets the most out of his players. They had eight rookies come up. They all did great. Uh, I think the main thing for a manager these days is really to get your players to play to their potential. And uh, he was 106 and 56. That certainly should weigh more heavily than two and three. I know people are in LA are upset and certainly uh, he left some room to criticize there. Uh, I, I personally would not have gone with Kershaw even in the middle of the inning. He got out of that, but uh, obviously he's had his postseason struggles. I think to put the pressure on him right there may not have been the right move. Some disagree with that, but then certainly to, to not go with Kenley Jansen. I'm sure they talked it over with the front office, so we don't know exactly who to point the finger at, but uh, uh, to, to go with Joe Kelly for two innings, a guy who had really a spotty uh, first year in L.A. and had some arm trouble in September over Kenley Jansen, a guy who has been your uh, closer for years. I, I thought that was very odd. Uh, but, you know, as I say, one move, two moves that you could criticize, debate, whatever, uh, that should not uh, come to the forefront and, and supersede a, a, a terrific major league man. If Dave Roberts had been let go, every team out there would have given him an offer. So that's ridiculous. And another managerial thing that uh, I thought was interesting, and we touched, you touched on uh, Flaherty coming up big and the 10 run. I, I, you know, maybe it would have taken some major courage, uh, big stones, whatever you want to call it, to take Flaherty out. But uh, I wouldn't have had him pitch six innings because you certainly need him in the LCS. And uh, I know he's a young guy who's strong. The innings thing doesn't seem to be bothering him like it does some other younger guys. But once you have 10 runs in the first inning, once you're up 13-1, certainly that game is over. I mean, I don't have to look at fan grass. They're not coming back. Uh, Atlanta was done. And I would have taken him out. I, and I certainly wouldn't have him decide after five innings, oh, I want to pitch another inning and then – he throws up and in on Acuna and then comes to the plate. I thought that was a, a needless risk that didn't need to be undertaken. I understand him wanting to come to the plate after doing that, but if I'm the manager, I'm saying, no, no, you're not. They can come get us next year, whatever. We do not need an injury. And I give the Braves credit for not yeah. retaliating and throwing at Flaherty, but I, I thought that was an opportunity that they gave him there. Well, and, and 2020 is coming around the corner. There will be other opportunities. I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm sure. There's always more opportunity for retaliation. Yeah. And right, well, Fangraphs has it at 99.9%. You're going to want to stay tuned for Tony LaRusa because we've got him coming up next. Mercedes-Benz A-Class presenting Big Time Baseball from Radio.com Sports. All right, we are so excited to bring Tony LaRusa on with us, longtime manager, current Red Sox front office executive, talking about the postseason and maybe even get into some of the, the managerial upheaval, which is all around us here. But, you know, Tony, you, you went out uh, on top in 2011 in, I think, one of the more fascinating World Series we've ever seen. And it, I was just looking at that this morning, remembering how, for example, back-to-back -back games, the Cardinals in Texas, you guys scored 16 runs one night, zero the next uh, on a Derek Holland two-hitter. Uh, things can just go up and down so crazily in October, can't they? Well, they sure can. And and normally, it's in, you see it year in, year out, but there's a great example 
this off season, I mean, this, this, uh, this postseason, the, the games where there are a lot of runs scored are, are not nearly as, as often as the ones where teams that get to October usually have enough pitching to shut great offenses down. So you have the games where they're really tight and, uh, and you're, you're looking for ways to score. And a lot of times, especially against the better pitchers, the, 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 the easier thing to do is just to get a lousy rally started with a single or a walk and then try to get them around and score rather than, you know, the, the hero complex. So a lot of well-pitched games so far this offseason, this pro season. Hey, Tony, uh, John Heyman here. And uh, I don't want to be remiss and not state your record here. Three World Series championships, six World Series, 2,728 wins, third all-time, uh, first ballot Hall of Fame. I don't know if we call it first ballot, but it was uh, – first ballot and uh, unanimous. So incredible career by you. Uh, what, what, and obviously you managed a long, long time. I, I wanted to ask you about some of the changes now uh, in terms of the managing and the input that the front offices have. Uh, when, it, when you managed, did, did anybody ever tell you what the lineup should be or give you hints or how was it and how is it now, do you think, since you're involved? I mean, obviously in Arizona you had a big job. Boston, same thing. Uh do you think this is a, a good trend that there's more involvement from the front office? And uh, what was it like for you? Did you, did you have any at all or you just write your own lineup? Well, John, that's the, that's the hot button issue. I think uh, in baseball today, and it's trying to find the right mix. Um, I think if you look quickly at the background, you know, uh, we were, I'm talking about we as our coaches staff and myself, we were very fortunate in Chicago, Oakland, St. Louis, that the ownership and the front office really believed in the value of the coaching staff uh, and their day-to-day experiences and opinions and the ability to adjust based on the game. So what we had to get, to get that, earn that uh, credit and that respect, you know, we really thrived on information. If you remember back, you know, we were, we were really plunging in every bit of information you can get. And that's why I think today we've been very comfortable and, and uh, with all the extra weapons that you have as far as preparing but to me the game today uh, or the mix has got to be the proper balance between all the information that's available to the front office and decision making uh, and then how you transmit it and what you expect from the guys in uniform and I think uh, in many cases uh, where the first years of this have been that there's been a little bit overwhelming the people downstairs, a certain disrespect for what, or maybe it's not disrespect as much as not really knowing how dynamic it is down there in, in a game, in a series, you know, literally inning to inning. So in our, in our time, uh, we had a lot of communication with front office and ownership. I mean, we were always held accountable, but what you do is, you know, you explain what we were doing and, and, and we worked together. Uh, but in the end, uh, the healthy thing is to give, uh, your your guys in uniform, the ability to make in-game decisions. And there's a n- not-so-subtle plus to that. You know, it's leadership and having guys follow you has to do with respect and trust. And if most of the time, the common sense thing is that the respect goes to the decision-makers. So if the guys upstairs are writing the scripts, all you're doing is undercutting the ability of your, your manager and your coaches to lead those guys in tough times. Tony LaRusso visiting with us, and I want to ask you, Tony, real quick just about what we're seeing right now in October, and I know if people are listening to this a week from when we're taping it, they'll look back and say, maybe we don't know what we're talking about, but I'm watching the, the Cardinals right now, a team that I know is still near and dear to you, and it reminds me a little bit of where you came in as a postseason manager in 83. You had this, you know, hairy, big, hitting White Sox team that all of a sudden, other than Rudy Law. You get into the LCS, I think you guys hit like 211 against Orioles pitching that was just top flight at that point. So if you're Mike Schilt right now, and as we're recording this, uh, you know, the Cardinals just aren't hitting at all. What, what do you do? I mean, do you shake things up? Or do you ride it out? Do you have a, a meeting with your hitters or, or just uh, how does that go for you at that point? Probably all, all of the above, Josh. I mean, I think one of the things that's really important is Every game that you play, you learn something, and especially with the intensity of the postseason. And so 
you know, they've gone through two games where outstanding pitching shut them down. And I mean pitching, you know, what Sanchez did, moving the ball around, changing speeds, and then, you know, the plus stuff, electric stuff that Scherzer has. I mean, and now they face Strasburg. So I think, you know, you can expect that most games, it's going to be tough to put rallies together, tough to do big things. So if your offense is struggling, what you try to do sometimes, you just got to push. You know, you got to try and manufacture it. Really, to the extent that they get guys on base, I think Mike is Schilt is doing a good job. They've stolen some bases. They just can't get anybody on. But I, I think the mistake that you make sometimes is not to understand that if you're struggling offensively, you should push. Uh, you're better off being aggressive offensively when in doubt. Uh, I think maybe a lot, you know, I'm not sure what he's going to do with his lineup. Uh, I don't think it's disrespectful for Fowler to, to move down the lineup. You just give a little different look and, 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 you know, I just show that, that you're thinking about something different. But I, I really just think it's you got to read what's happening. You know, sometimes like, you know, the Yankees here, the Twins are a run scored by the Yankees. Now you go on against Houston. The second game, there was no run scored. You know what I mean? It was you just have to keep reading and being flexible in, in, in how you manage. Tony, you know, I was looking at your record. And even if I don't look at your record, I, I would say you're the best manager over the past uh, 50 years or so. And you obviously went in the Hall of Fame with Joe Torre, Bobby Cox. And, you know, obviously cases could be made for others. But, uh, you know, I want to take this opportunity since we have you now and there are eight managerial openings just for you to. Uh, I mean, we know you're with Boston now, you're with Arizona, but you follow the entire league uh, since you've uh, retired a few years, several years ago. Um, what managers who, who you've seen over the last several years do you think really got it and were really, really good managers, maybe underrated? And uh, wh- what do you think of this trend? I know you were hired very young. You had an unusual background having a law degree. Uh, you know, now we have some saying that inexperience is better. Some are saying let's go for experience. Um, how, how would you look at it? There are eight openings now. Some are it seems like the trend may be swinging back and we're looking at some of the experienced guys as well. But uh, what do you think? If you, if you had a managerial opening, would you favor experience and who, who do you like who you've seen manage in the last uh, couple of decades? Well, it's a great question. I appreciate your compliments too, John, but I think it's uh it's, it's very hairy. I mean, the number of openings and actually, you know, there are some clubs that are struggling, which is how you usually get a job to manage, but there are clubs that are really close to winning and are expected to win. So, uh, you know, I just think, you know, you have to look at the individuals that you're, that you're looking at, you know, there's nothing wrong with hiring young. If you see something in the young guy, I think the number one quality is leadership. And that's what I talked about earlier. You got to be able to invest your manager with the opportunity to, to motivate and move guys in the direction that that you want. So um, what's the leadership qualities of, of a young guy you're looking at? The fact that he hasn't pulled the trigger is a negative. So if you have a bench coach like, you know, Alex Cora last year uh, is a really gifted guy, but he had Ron Renneke for those tough times. Ron is really a sharp, experienced baseball man. But I look at uh, I look at some of the veterans now that are getting their names out there. And, and I'm, I've got a high opinion of guys like like Buck. You know, I, I know Mike Sosha wants to manage again. You know, Dusty has, has a great track record. Uh, a guy who uh, I don't think gets enough credit. Uh, is the, the Oakland manager, Bob Melvin. You know, Bob deals with a lot of information from upstairs, but uh, he finds a way to distill it, and he and he can, and he earns the respect and the trust of his players. So they come out and they play really hard for him. So uh, I just think as an organization, you got to be careful with uh, hiring a guy that you can control and the guy is really just a functionary for you. He's down there just taking the information because that's not going to work. You're not going to have a club that responds to the manager and they're not going to be able to adjust to the game, to, uh, you know, dynamics. But at the same time, uh, if he's young and you see some really good qualities, you know, there's nothing wrong with going with the young guy, but I think some of the veterans that are showing that they want to manage some more, I mean, I'm, I'm all in for them as well. Hey, Tony, real quick before you go, I know we've only got you for another minute or two, but, you know, not only a 33-year managerial career, people forget sometimes you did play in the big leagues for six years, too. All that time that you spent around big league players, is there a guy that you can think of that never managed, that you're shocked never managed, either a guy you played with or played against or managed against where you're thinking, why'd that guy never become a manager? 
Well, that's a great question. If, if, and please make that the last time we ever refer to my playing career. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, no problem. <laughs> we'll come back. Uh, you know, I, I look at guys that uh, had a love of the game back in, in uh, Chicago, my early days, Mike Squires was a, a player that, you know, he actually went into coaching for a little while and then scouted for a long time. I thought he could with the, with the uh, Cardinals. Yeah. Placido Polanco always thought had, you know, a real good, smart way to play. And, and he had a way of connecting with, with players, you know, with the A's. Uh, I think the guy that uh, would have been a great manager in the end, he got a little frustrated and just, became the greatest pitching coach of all time is Dave Duncan. Uh, you know, Duncan had all the quality. So I think it's a, you know, it's a unique responsibility. And uh, it seems like probably my biggest concern now is that um, is, is something I mentioned earlier where, you know, owners and front office guys are looking for people they can control downstairs. And, and you really need to have somebody you can work with, not have them just work for you. Hey, Tony, I would agree with you on Dave Duncan being the greatest uh, pitching coach ever. And it's interesting that he was a catcher, uh, not a pitcher, but a fantastic career. I think now Houston, uh, Brent Strom is making a case. He's going to have to do it a little bit longer. Duncan obviously was your guy for a long, long time and really fantastic. But I want to ask you about another guy you went back to the White Sox with. I know this became somewhat of a controversy. And, you know, I I kind of got it. I, I think the Veterans Committee should have its own way of looking at things. It's going to be different than the writers who are, uh, you know, maybe looking at analytics a little bit more or something like that. I, I mean, Harold Baines had a fantastic career. And I know uh, you, your, your lawyer background came in handy because you had a debate with several people on uh, broadcast podcasts such as, as this on Harold Baines. You know, I don't want to get, get into the whole thing here. Baines had a fantastic career, incredible hitter. Clutch guy, played for, I don't know, was it 24 years? Uh, certainly is very famous. <laughs> so I, I got it. I didn't happen to vote for him. I did vote for Lee Smith. But uh, just, and, and I don't mind that the, the Veterans Committee gets its say, because I think we overlook some people. H- how do you now look back on the whole thing with Harold Baines? And, I mean, it, I thought it was great when he did his speech, and I didn't know he could do a speech, but good for him. And I have no problem with it, but other people did, and I'm sure you're aware of that. Well, you know, John, the uh... – when I look back, you know, I, I didn't my my part of it. I, I didn't want to take away from what Harold had earned, and and you know, he got called like you know he was because he was a teammate. Uh, I was pushing for him, but I have my responsibility to the Hall of Fame, and that kind of upset me. But I, you know, what I tried to make clear, and this is something that I would challenge anybody with the, the Hall of Famers that I've talked to over the many years. You know, a bunch of them in St. Louis before that. You know, Tom Seaver was one of my biggest mentors as far as what it took there because he kept back when I got there he called me a coattail hall of famer because I didn't do anything <laughs> like a place and he's right but the two biggest criteria is if you look at the at the generation of the player or the pitcher and you look at the guys that were hall of famers in that time how does he rank and secondly if he if you see that he's comparable was his uh, longevity long enough to establish and that's why we had a you know like 20 different categories where harold was among uh in, in front of and behind a bunch of hall of famers and he went off for 22 years so i think you know nowadays uh I, i've seen a, uh, that harold got criticized because his war number was down i mean you know war is a nice form you know, you know nice metric but there's a heck of a lot more to picking a hall of famer than just, you know, some mathematical formula. One other thing, I'm, and you brought it up, John, Dave Duncan, and, and he's he's the answer, I think, to a lot of uh, issues again. When we're talking about what's happening today with the information that's provided, Dave Duncan was, at the, was a pioneer in creating a lot of strategies that we used, and he, and he did them from his charting and his video work and all this stuff. A lot of metrics actually correspond and 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 are together with issues uh of these strategies that we developed and dunk was at the at the forefront of a lot of the stuff that our pitchers and and organizations are using today it's just that they're backed up by by you know legitimate formulas and not just his hard uh work 
Wish we had more time with Tony LaRusso. Always great stuff, but he's got to go. He's got a general manager to help hire in, in Boston. So, uh, Tony, <laughs> I will never bring up your career again, even though you scored that run, your very last game, major league game, which I still think is a great stat, game-winning run, walked it off. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. Continued success to you in Boston. Okay, guys, thanks. I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks. Very cool. All yeah. right, Tony LaRusso with us. We've got more coming up. It's Big Time Baseball right here. Hey, everybody, Cody Decker here from Swings and Misses, the Radio.com Sports Original, here to talk to you about 4hims.com. 4hims.com is your one stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. And you know what? I'm 32, and I've been taking hymns for three weeks now. Baseball did everything it could to take my hairline away from me, whether it was just wearing a helmet, wearing a hat, or my managers just not playing me. My hair was going away. And I'm 32 years old, and I don't want to be part of this statistic anymore. Thanks to science, baldness can be optional. Hims is helping guys be the best versions of themselves with licensed physicians and FDA-approved products to help you regrow your hair. 4Hims connects you to real doctors online. Get the hair loss treatment everybody's talking about, featured in GQ, Men's Health, Playboy, just to name a few, not to mention, I talk about it every day on our Radio.com original Swings and Misses. Go to 4Hims.com slash swings. That's 4Hims, F-O-R-M. H-I-M-S dot com slash swings. All right, we continue big time baseball here in a postseason month. We're happy to be joined by Matt Spiegel of 670 The Score. And I know you're saying, wait a minute, it's a postseason and we're, we're going on to talk with, with Chicago people. What? Well, there, there is stuff happening with uh, mostly the Cubs, uh, some White Sox uh, stuff maybe we'll get into, maybe not. Mostly Cubs here because of the departure of Joe Madden and uh uh, we've already talked about it a little bit, Matt, and you know I'm just curious because you've got two feet on the ground in Chicago. What do you think is going to happen in terms of the replacement, and what were the fan and caller reactions on the score when it was announced that Joe was going? Well, when it was time to decide whether they were going to bring Joe back, you had a lot of people jumping to each pole of the conversation. This is a scapegoat for Theo Epstein's issues and the front office disasters, or Joe is responsible for the complacent and kind of lifeless way this team has played the last two Septembers. And I think the truth ends up somewhere in the middle. Um, It's definitely an overall failure of vision from the front office that wanted to build a dynasty here in this uh, in this offseason. They've had the wherewithal to admit that. Um, but also with Joe, and I think most of the fans have come to realize that Joe Madden has one very stable, excellent, calm gear with which he manages a baseball team. And last year in the offseason, uh, Theo and Jed demanded of Joe going into what was a lame duck season that he amp it up, that he get more involved. And, and he did, but it's really not his normal M.O. So it wasn't really until the final couple of weeks when he said something like, you know, I'm going to try and break this up. I, I just infiltrated the group. That was the phrase that he used. He And it took a long time. It took until the final couple of weeks of his fifth year to infiltrate the group. So they're ready for a different kind of voice, a different kind of leader, somebody with – with that tool in the toolbox, uh, if you will. And, and that doesn't mean a screamer or a yeller. It just means somebody to be more hands-on and try to get the most out of uh, out of their guys that they believe are capable of more than they've given over the last couple of years. Hey, Matt, I want to get a little bit into uh, who, who might replace him at some point. But, uh, you know, when they when they met with Joe Madden in the offseason, uh, they told him flat out that there could be big changes, probably would be big changes if the team as constructed didn't win and I think he took it to mean not just him, which certainly meant him, and we know it did, uh, but some of the players, too. Uh, and obviously, they have a very storied nucleus that helped them win that World Series and break that 108-year streak. But what what do you think? I mean, I'm assuming Rizzo is going to stay and Baez is going to stay. But what should, should I assume anything? And could Bryant or Contreras, uh, I mean, who who could be on the block? What could they do here to shake it up a little bit, if anything? And maybe that was just a thought at the time and they, they will keep their nucleus as is. Uh, no, I think you mentioned the two guys that uh, could conceivably get moved either. I, I wouldn't think both, but I would think that either Contreras or Brian are possible. John, if their other guys had worked out well enough to be trade bait, like Amora and Ian Happ and Addison Russell uh, at this point, then maybe we wouldn't have the conversation, but those three guys, you'll get nothing. 
pretty much for those three guys, even though Hap had a nice September and finished his player of the week. Um, and Kyle Schwarber finally, over the second half of this past year, started to show a little more hit than just slug. And, you know, look, there's still a chance that they deal Schwarber, but that's the guy, as, as you know, they've been in love with and, and really have believed that there's more in him. And he just started to show it. So I think Bryant is the one that they might have to soberly look at and say in two years, he's going to get as much money as anybody will possibly get. Um, and he and Scott Boris have been steadfast about seeing it through to free agency. And the truth is that Bryant said a really terrible final couple of months of the season and the RBI numbers have been down the past couple of years and while we know that's a stat of opportunity in modern baseball it still has has exposed you know several several situations and games and series and stretches where Bryant has not been a guy to come up with uh, with big hits and big moments so I, and I think that's the one you get the most value for. If you're looking to to jumpstart this mix and give yourself two more years of a viable championship contention, then you got to deal not for prospects, right, but for young, affordable, very good players right now. Um, with and, and the guy to get the most of that kind of deal with is Chris Bryant. I think Contreras is another one, but. But Contreras' energy, like Baez, is just so special. And for what they're wanting in terms of energy and, and, and the vibe in that clubhouse, I think it'd be a little strange to see Contreras go in that sense. Hey, Matt, the, the young difference maker they had, obviously, was Glaber Torres. And Aroldis Chapman came the other way as a rental, and he obviously did some good things. But is there kind of this cloud of regret that hangs over Chicago, seeing what Glaber Torres has become? Or do people understand that's just hindsight and that they needed Chapman when they needed him? The, there is there is a cloud of regret, but it doesn't fully rain in terms of Glaber, Josh, because they won a title. And even though Chapman was problematic in the World Series, I don't think they win the title or get there without him. Um, that was a, a problem of timing. Because, boy, it, 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 it would have been nice in retrospect to have Addison Russell be in that trade, but he was up with the big league club and, and helping at the time. Um, it, uh, it, it, it would have been nice to not have to include uh, Glaber. It would have been nice to not include Eloy Jimenez in the deal with Dylan Seas to go get Jose Quintana. Maybe if they didn't do that a couple months later when Justin Verlander was pushing the Astros to the very last minutes of the deadline because he wanted to be a Cub, maybe they would have had enough in the tank to go get Verlander at that point if they haven't done the move for Quintana. But I'll tell you the one that, that everybody keeps thinking about, and this is the very early decision to get rid of DJ LeMayhew as a throw-in in a Tyler Colvin trade to pick up Ian Stewart, bounce back candidate Ian Stewart. Because they didn't like LeMahieu's profile. He didn't fit the slug that they wanted to populate their lineup with. And we've spent the last three years talking about the need for lineup diversification. And they really need a guy who can just put the bat on the ball and hit it the opposite way. Like, I don't know, DJ LeMahieu. So <laughs> that, that's the one that's really lingering for a lot of people because they've had three hitting coaches in three years trying to teach guys to be more like DJ LeMahieu. And they threw him into a trade. Um, so that's, there's been a lot of bad self-doubting, and it's not something we thought we were going to see from a Theo Epstein, Jed Hoyer, Jason McLeod group, but it's been there. Yeah, I mean, DJ LeMayhew has really been a revelation with the Yankees, and give them credit. They went and got him, and he wanted to be Yankee. I think he could have gotten more money elsewhere. Tampa, I'd heard, and there were some other teams. But, uh, I mean, until this year, he wasn't this enormous star. But I, I can I guess I could see that now. It's just several years after the trade, but on Gleiber and, and – uh, Chapman, uh, you know, they, they broke a 108-year streak. So I, I consider that one of the great trades uh, of all time because it served both teams' interest, and uh, the Cubs needed to break that uh, jinx. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, I want to change it back to the managerial now, though. Where, where do you think they go from here? Ross is considered the favorite. Uh, if he wants it, people think it's his. But, of course, they've talked to Girardi, who's got all those – Cubs and Northwestern and Illinois ties and uh, uh, Loretta is it seems like a good candidate too. And I don't know if there are some others that you know about, but uh, uh, is Ross a fait accompli or could it be someone else? I I, I heard uh, Theo say call him Rossi when he was asked about him. To me, that was a tell uh, how much he likes the guy. I don't I don't know. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but 
That's the way I heard it. No, I, I think they've envisioned David Ross in this role for a long time. And I think he's been an assistant to the general manager, learning different levels and phases of the organization. With this in mind, Joe Madden was on the station every week during the year. And at one point, Ross was in visiting and he was asked about him. And Joe said, you know, I really do think managing is in his future. And that has uh, felt awkward um, since then, every time I've seen David Ross around. I think it's they've been trying to replace the energy and presence that Ross brought to that clubhouse as a veteran player since he left. And it, it's it's a skill set that Ross has, and, and you guys know it when you see it, where he's very likable with his teammates, but he holds them accountable. And if you screw up, like Ross got in people's face all the time, including Lester, his best friend, including Rizzo, including Brian. And if you screwed up or you didn't do something right, you didn't want to face David Ross in the dugout. But if you did something well, you wanted to be next to him because he's infectious. And, and that kind of energy... Um, and that kind of human effect is something that Theo and Jed believe in more now than they did earlier in their career. And and I think that they're going to give David Ross a chance to do that as a manager. It's a different thing to do it as a manager than it is as a teammate. And hell, you might see Carlos Beltran do the same thing in New York for the Mets. Right, Josh? Uh, but uh, this is different kind of, it's a different kind of transition that you're going to be asking but uh, uh, unless something surprising happens during the course of these interviews, I think David Ross uh, gets this job. And he, he fits the Aaron Boone, Alex Cora, Rocco Baldelli, and even Craig Council profile of a guy who's got some, uh, you know, some, some, some front office experience perhaps, and a, or certainly some broadcasting experience, and, and a recently retired player who can manage up and down manage with the front office up and with the clubhouse down. And I'll be, I'll be surprised if it's anyone other than David Ross, I guess the wild card would be Joe Espada, the bench coach from Houston. And, um, and I don't know if they're going to try and squeeze in that interview in the middle of this series or after the LCS, uh, we'll see how long they want to wait. Matt, great stuff. Great info. Really appreciate your time. We'll catch up with you again. Enjoy the, the rest of October, my friend. Appreciate you. Uh, I will, guys. Thanks. A pleasure. I've enjoyed listening to the podcast. Keep it going. Love it. Love it. Thanks so much for, for knowing that we're here. It's called Big Time Baseball. It's a part of Radio.com Sports. John Heyman's Insider segment, straight up. All right, as we get to the, the real meat and potatoes here uh, of this podcast, where we get to ask John Heyman what he's heard and what he thinks is going to happen, because there are eight managerial searches going on right now. And by the way, what we just got, we got a text from Tony La Russa. I guess he got done with us, John, and realized when we asked him about the, uh, the managerial candidates to be. Uh, Joe Girardi and Carlos Beltran, he said, are two guys he should have mentioned. So, okay, that's cool. I'll, I'll let you mention them, too, because those are two guys that I think everybody feels like they, I mean, Joe's done it before. Carlos never has. But if either of them gets a job offer or multiple job offers, it's like no one would be surprised. So let's start there. Uh, if you had to say that guy is a manager and he goes here, the other guy is a manager and he goes there, what do you think for those two? Yeah, I think Girardi's going to get a job. He's obviously got several opportunities. Uh, we know that he's a candidate in uh, Chicago, uh, New York, and Philadelphia, uh, three big cities. He's obviously battle-tested, and uh, you got to figure that the odds are in his favor. I think the Mets are uh, heavily considering it, all the pluses and minuses, and uh, he's the one experienced candidate that's really come out that we know about uh, for the Mets. So uh, I got to think that he has a, a good chance there. Beltran obviously uh, has certain certainly has connections with Mets people, Allard Baird in Kansas City, uh, and also uh, with Omar Minaya, who signed him for the Mets. And, uh, you know, I think they're past the dispute that he had with the ownership at the time that he was a Met. He was a very good Met. Um, he's a very nice guy in the clubhouse and certainly has his positives. Uh, the question there is the experience factor, uh, but they are interviewing and considering a number of relatively inexperienced guys. So they are certainly considering him, and I've heard he is a serious candidate for the Mets. The Gabe Kapler thing didn't really catch anybody by total surprise, but it did happen a little bit after the last time you and I were on talking during a mm -hmm. podcast. So. Where, where does Philly go and where, where does Kapler end up? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, the Kapler thing did not catch him by surprise. We've been talking about it on this podcast uh, basically uh, 
for months. Uh, so I, I think that was expected. Uh, the record wasn't what they'd hoped after acquiring five all-stars. I think the biggest issue, and they, they didn't really lay this out at the press conference. I, I think those press conferences are tough because you certainly don't want to bash somebody that you've just fired. And yet there is a reason that they fired. I think the issue, really the issue is, and I don't know whether they know this or what, but uh, he didn't, wasn't able to get the players to play to their potential. Uh, basically, uh, Bryce Harper and uh, JT Real Mudo were two guys who did play to their potential for the Phillies, but the other guys, uh, not so much. Uh, to finish 500 uh, was a disappointment, and that's basically it. Uh, now, Capital will get a chance in San Francisco, uh, certainly very smart, innovative guy, uh, so he may land somewhere else. But uh, the Phillies are going for experience. So there's no question about that. They're looking at Girardi and also Buck. Showalter and Dusty Baker. And uh, I mean, that's a pretty good trio of very uh, experienced, successful managers. Uh, they may also take a look at Mike Sosha that hasn't come out yet, but uh, Philly guy would not be shocking. Although that, that could be a little bit dicey though, because of their GM is Matt Clintac, who was uh, an assistant GM with the angels when Sosha was there. And as we know, Sosha and Jerry DePoto, the GM were at odds and eventually led to DePoto resigning. So, uh, that could be a little dicey. I, I think it probably will be, and Philly's cards are really on the table, probably will be one of the three, Baker, Showalter, and Girardi. Showalter does have the connection there with Andy McPhail from Baltimore. Klintek and others were in Baltimore as well at that time. So I'm going to put a favorite. I'm going to say it's Buck Showalter. Of all the gigs out there right now, John, I don't know if there's one that's a clear-cut number one open manager's job. I mean, I look at teams that are close, and you know the Mets are near and dear to me, so I'll throw them out there. But, you know, I mean, there are some things that hamstring you. I mean, there, you know, there's an ownership thing that, that will not go away there. Uh, you know, is it a demanding fan base? They, you know, they gave Jed Lowry two years and, you know, 20 million, I think it was. Basically what the Yankees gave DJ LeMahieu. How'd that work out? Uh, you know, so uh, I know there's obstacles and hurdles always in New York, but uh, help me through this. I mean, is there a, a plum job out there of all the ones that are open? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I guess it depends on the person applying. You know, obviously, New York, you, you know, you're in a big city. Your your payroll is not going to be the Yankees, but it's going to be decent. San Diego obviously has a lot of great young players. It's also a pretty nice town, as you probably know. So uh, the Angels, they have Trout. They they have Otani. Uh, you know, they've got some money to spend. Uh, you know, Kansas City, they do, do things right. Uh, Philly's got some star players and it certainly looks like there's opportunity for improvement. San Francisco, a new regime. I think they're going to do well there. I mean, there's something really positive to be said about all these places. It isn't one clear cut one that you would see, say for everybody. That's the number one thing, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I would say they all offer something different and it depends on the perspective. I, I do think Girardi loves the idea of New York and the Mets. I mean, he was in in with the Yankees for 10 years. He's working at MLB Network, where I work also. That's in the New York area. He seems to like it there. So, I mean, for Girardi, it's probably the Mets. Some, for some of the others, uh, it's really harder to predict. Let me close this segment, John, by asking you about free agents. And Garrett Cole right now, as he just marauds his way through this postseason, I mean, it's like so far, it's like guys are up there swinging a three musketeers bar against Garrett Cole. So you think that there are going to be teams absolutely lining up the Brinks truck to try to bring him in. Uh, who's in play? Who do you think has the best shot with Garrett Cole? Yeah. I mean, Garrett Cole is an incredible position. You don't see this very often. We've seen a couple in the past, Randy Johnson off of this brief tenure in Houston. Uh, obviously, you know, Arizona signed him as a free agent, won four straight free, uh, Cy Young's Sabathia uh, off of a, a great brief appearance in Milwaukee is another one uh, who was obviously at that time uh, considered the best pitcher in baseball or one of the best two or three pitchers. Cole right now is the best pitcher in the game. So he's in an incredible position. Uh, it looks to me like it could be a Yankee Dodger uh, battle. Uh, you know, the Dodgers have not done this in the past. They basically uh, drafted and developed well. They've tried to keep their own guys. Uh, the only guys they've offered the $100 million to are, uh, are Granke, who they were outbid by quite a bit by the smaller market, Arizona. Uh, I think they've probably made offers big for uh, Bellinger and Seeger, uh, but not free agents. Uh, they just haven't done that. They've kept their own guys, but in this case, they may make an exception. People in L.A. are, are not happy 
with the fact they have not won a World Series since 1988. Went out uh, very sadly this year. Uh, it, it was, uh, I'm sure, very disappointing for people in, in Los Angeles. And I mean, in the interim, in those 31 years since they won the World Series, the main rival, the Giants, which has been up and down, certainly compared to the Dodgers, they won t- three World Series. Even the Marlins, who've basically been down, they had two up years and they won two World Series. So uh, I think there's uh, more of an urgency for the Dodgers. You know, the Angels, a hometown team. The Dodgers are, in a sense, too. He went to UCLA. I'm not going to rule out Houston trying to keep him. Uh, and, uh, you know, there'll be teams that obviously need pitching that are pretty big market teams like Philly who may make a shot. But I could see this coming down potentially Yankees and Dodgers. And I'm going to go out and predict that he's going to get a record for a pitcher, eight for 35, which would be 245. He's number 45, but I, I see him getting 245. And I don't think that's crazy money. We've seen um, a handful of pitchers get over 200 million and none of them are coming, were coming off of the year uh, that he's coming off. It's going to be quite a free agency. Uh, Rendon is an interesting one. The Nats made an offer. Uh, I think that uh, he'd like to stay there. But there are some teams that really could use a third baseman, uh, Texas, uh, Angels, Philly. Uh, so I think that'll be an interesting one. Uh, he's probably going to aim to beat the Arenado deal. Uh, and then uh, Strasburg is going to be the third free agent. I mean, at this point, there's no. it's clear that he will at least use that opt-out. May stay in Washington, but I, I think he will definitely use that opt-out. 100 for four he's got left. But look at the season he's had. Look at the. Look at the postseason he's had. I mean, the Dodgers could be in there for him. The, the Padres, he's a San Diego guy, uh, went to college out there. Uh, but he's a guy of comfort. So that's why I'm thinking either he stays in Washington, which he loves, as does Rendon, or he goes to someplace else where he'd be comfortable, which is uh, Southern California. So it's going to be a big free agency. We've got uh, three superstars and many other great players like Josh Donaldson and many others. I think Donaldson's going to end up staying with Atlanta, though. I'll go ahead and predict that right now. All right. See, I knew I'd get you rolling on free agency. That, and there's, nobody covers free agency like our John Heyman. That is absolute <laughs> fact. So next week, we'll get into, uh, well, wherever the uh, LCSs end up being by next week. One of them might be over by then. They both might be over by then. But uh, we got a lot more to jump around with. So please do subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast by searching Big Time Baseball. You can find us on Twitter, too, at RDC Sports. For John Heyman and our special guests, Tony LaRussa and Matt Spiegel, this is Josh Lewin. Appreciate you very much, guys. Take care. This has been a presentation of Radio.com Sports. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.